Who here enjoys making decisions? Does anyone here get nervous or anxious about making decisions? Now, sometimes the reluctance to make a decision means that we let an opportunity pass us by. Indecision in our spiritual lives can be consequential in our experience of God. But difficulty over knowing what to do and when to do it is a universal issue for people and not just for people, apparently. For instance, do you know what you call an indecisive potato? A hesitator. And indecision isn't just a potato problem. It's also an issue for footwear. Perhaps you've heard of the most indecisive shoe around. Yes, you've guessed it. It's the flip-flop. Finally, I can't believe that this new drink that Starbucks is serving to those that can't make up their mind on what to order. You know, those people that annoy everyone else in line. No, it's not a coffee drink. It's called Uncertain Tea. Uncertain Tea. I understand you can get it iced or hot or lukewarm if you can't decide. Well, I, I joke, but many of us balk at making major decisions, especially when it comes to significant spiritual issues. We think that because God has given us free will, he's waiting on us to make our decision and then will bless us or punish us as a result. We view life as a test and God is shaking his head at us as if we haven't studied hard enough. However, if we look at scripture, this isn't the image we get of God at all. We have to admit that the God we meet in scripture isn't a scolding taskmaster, but is instead a loving father. God takes care of his children. He knows our needs. All he desires that we love and obey him, and he takes care of the rest. Have you ever asked, how do I come to know God's will? What guide is there? How do I know when God is directing me? Well, that same Bible that gives that corrected image of God as loving Father is also our guide on how to live and learn and make God-informed decisions. But unfortunately, Christians are becoming more and more disoriented to using the Bible as a guide for faith and practice. Now, perhaps you think that the Bible doesn't speak to the issues that you're facing today. Well, Blackaby and King say, in their book, Experiencing God, which we've just started to take a look at, is that's because Christians have become disoriented to the Bible or have been taught by pastors or leaders to look elsewhere for guidance, well, they turn to worldly solutions and programs and methods that appear to provide answers to spiritual problems. Some say it's just not practical to use the Bible as a guide and, and base their decision-making on personal experience or sources outside their faith because they well, those sources promise practical guidance. Well, this is an easy error to fall into, even for those of us that would like to maintain a God-centered life. So let's look at three specific errors that need to be corrected in order for us to experience God. Error number one is that often we make plans that leave God out or are focused on what we're going to do for God. Experiencing God, the book, refers to a time when Claude King, who helped develop the revised and expanded version of the book, well, he, he wanted to help plant churches. He studied in school and seminary all the ways that you go about starting churches and evangelizing neighborhoods. He and his wife were committed to be tent makers, and that's the term that 
is used to follow the example of the Apostle Paul uh, when he made tents for his earthly ministry, not drawing a salary from the church, but worked in secular jobs in order to ensure that he wouldn't be a burden on the church. And, and people have followed that example. So Claude and his wife, they had it all figured out and well-planned, but instead of being successful church planners, they they couldn't find that secular work they were counting on. They burned through their savings and, and had to move back in with family. You know, he had planned for years what he was going to do for God without considering the importance of really listening and looking for what God was calling him to be. Now, years later, once he learned in humility to present his heart for church planning to a group of local churches and then wait on God, well, God then started to move and open up amazing opportunities for new churches and ministries. So this first error comes when we plan so well that we leave no room for God to lead. Now, God is not interested in endorsing our plans for the kingdom. It is his kingdom, after all. So that's error number one. Error number two is missing out because we want the full picture of what God's going to do before we start to follow God's leading. So another error comes when we're, you know, we're just too timid to move out in faith and we want God to give us the full picture of how he is working. But how often does it happen that God asks us to do something or commit ourselves to something and then he lays out all the plans on the table before we have to make any decisions? Never, right? Never. I mean, the one exception that I can think of is how Jesus clearly laid out for his disciples how he's going to have to die and be raised again in three days. And how well did the disciples do with all this information laid out ahead of time, having been warned that they would desert him and flee in fear when this happened? Yep, that's right. Not well. So the expect expectation that God is going to give us a full roadmap for the journey before we have to take the first step, it's, it's foolish, and it's built on the false assumption that if we had more information, we would make better decisions. However, in the Bible, we find that God often asks people to simply make themselves available to be used by God. The details come as that person walks with God in faith. You know, when God called Abram to leave his homeland in Genesis 12, 12 Abram only knew the promises that God gave, not, not the details. Likewise, God called out Peter and Andrew, James, John, Matthew, and Paul to follow him, all to be apostles. But the details of what that would mean for them, well, it just simply wasn't given. They had to respond to God by faith. So that's error number two, asking for God to lay out all the details before we take a step out in faith. Error three is, well, it's asking from the wrong perspective or improper focus. Another error has to do with overall attitude. Uh, a matter of perspective. You know, when people seek to know and do the will of God, many ask the question, well, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? But this is not the right question. The right question is, what is God's will? And once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him. In other words, I adjust myself to that which God is already doing and purposing where I am. Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. So the focus needs to be on God, not on my life. So what kind of model is there in Scripture that teaches us 
how to know and do the will of God? Well, there's no better model than Jesus himself. Jesus knew and did God's will. During his 33 years on earth, Jesus perfectly completed every assignment God gave him to do. He never once failed to do the will of the Father. He never sinned. So let's read John 5, 17 through 20 and find out how he went about discovering the Father's will. This passage follows right after Jesus has healed a man that has been unable to walk for 38 years. 38 years, and Jesus has healed him and and given him a new lease on life. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't like that. And so they they accuse him of, of breaking the Sabbath by doing the healing when he did. And verse 17 picks up, it says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work. And to this very day, I too am working. Well, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. For not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So what was Jesus' example? Well, Jesus knew the Father had been working right up until that moment. The Father had the Son, Jesus, working as well. Jesus did nothing of his own initiative, but he watched and waited to see what the Father was doing. And then Jesus did what he saw the Father was already doing. And importantly, the Father loved Jesus. And the Father continued to show Jesus everything that he himself was doing. Now, we can adopt this model personally and for our church. It's, it's not a step-by-step approach to knowing and doing the will of God. Rather, this describes a love relationship through which God accomplishes his purposes. Jesus' example is to watch and to see where God is working, and then join him where he's working. The fact is, God is always at work around us. Right now, God is working all around you and me and in our lives. Blackaby and King write, One of the greatest tragedies among God's people is that while they have a deep longing to experience God, they are experiencing God day after day, but do not know how to recognize him. And that's the objective of this Experiencing God series, that by the end of the summer, you will have learned many ways to clearly recognize the activity of God in and around your life. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God will instruct you and will help you know when and where God is working. Once you know where he is working, you'll need to adjust your life to join him where he's at work. But this can only come when you've entered into a kind of kind of loving and intimate relationship that God desires. So there are some prerequisites. And and prerequisite number one is that you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've not made that commitment, well, none of the rest of this series is going to help you. Because spiritual matters are only comprehended by a mind renewed by God through the Spirit. 
So begin by asking yourself if you are truly a son or a daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you aren't sure, get sure. If you aren't sure, get sure. We'll pray at the end of this message for those that are listening to this and are not sure. And and for those who have made that commitment, maybe through indecision, we've we poked fun at the start of this message time. You've you've not yet fully committed your life and your heart and your soul to a loving God. We'll pray for you as well. So that's prerequisite number one, that you be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And prerequisite number two for this series, for you to really get something out of it, is that you go all in, that we together go all in. God desires our whole heart, not not half our hearts, not, not a piece of our hearts. And part of giving our whole hearts is learning what it means to truly be a servant of God. Now, many passages of Scripture describe Jesus as being God's servant. He came as a servant to accomplish God's will and bringing humanity back into relationship with him again. Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where he says to the Philippian church, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, well, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' instructions to his disciples described his own role of service. In Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, Jesus instructs them, saying, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus also told us about our relationship to him in John 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In addition to these passages, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, to see a key aspect of being a servant of God. Jeremiah writes, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. From this passage, what are two things a servant must do to be used by God? Well, first, be moldable, be like that clay. And then secondly, remain in God's hands by obedience. A servant is a person who is moldable and who remains in the master's hands. It is then that the master alone can use that individual as he chooses. The servant, you know, a servant cannot do anything of kingdom value by his or her own strength, abilities, or know-how. As we discovered this spring in our conversation with Pastor Micah, Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
But you know, working with God and God working through the servant, that servant can do anything with God's empowerment. You see, the focus isn't on what the servant does, but but it's what God does with the servant. And one last thing I want to mention as a caution, and it has to do with our image of servanthood. The world's definition of a servant is one who finds out what his master wants him to do and then does it. But God's definition has everything to do with the relationship. A little while back, we talked about Jesus no longer calling us just servants, but also friends. But though we are Jesus's friends, we are still asked to take on that role of servant because Jesus himself says he came to serve others. So being a servant and being in relationship, that servant is moldable and usable and God works with them to accomplish his will. You see, our Lord is all about relationships. It's about being in partnership with God in the gospel. It's not just about God giving instructions and expecting us to bend to his will. We need to be flexible. We need to be moldable. We need to remember to stay in his hands because he can only work with a heart that is like that clay in the potter's hand, where the potter is entrusted to form the clay. And that heart, as, as it's formed by God, as it seems best to him, will see the world differently. We'll see where God is at work. You see, God desires to work through you and I through his servants to change this world. Next week, we're going to look specifically at Moses as an example of how God shapes his servants. But for now, let us close in prayer. God, forgive us for our indecision and our lack of faith. Forgive us for our disobedience and our hard-heartedness that's closed our eyes to your work taking place around us. For those that are listening and praying with me right now and cannot say with certainty that they are your child, give them the wisdom and the conviction from the Spirit to know without question that you are calling them. If that's you, pray with me. God, I recognize that you have been active in my life. You have brought me to this very moment to consider what Jesus has done for me and what you want me to do in return. I confess my sin to you and accept the free gift of salvation offered through Jesus' death on a cross. Taking my sin and my shame upon himself, he paid the penalty for me and granted me forgiveness, healing, and hope. Forgiveness for my sin, healing for my heart, and hope of a life lived for all of eternity with God. Starting today, starting right now. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit made available to each child of God. Your presence, Holy Spirit, will guide me into the truth and keep me from error. You will open my ears, heart, mind, and soul to perceive and respond to God's initiative in my life. I surrender myself to your full control, God. And for all who are listening and perhaps have made such a commitment to God in the past and received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, but 
are now confused, lost, and without direction, we pray. We pray for them and we pray for ourselves. Guide and lead us, God, into a deeper and fuller experience of you. Help us to take this summer series to heart and to have our hearts stirred again with a passion to know you more deeply and follow you more faithfully. Prepare us each day for experiencing you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.